talked on the air before. I will be honest, oftentimes I'm at odds with positions that he takes, but I'm always happy to talk to people who may have some differing points of view than I do. And Senator Carnes um, asked to come on and talk about the Amendment 2 issue, which we've been spending a huge amount of time on on this show, and I was very happy to have him come and do that, and he's here with us now. Senator, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Howard. Thank you for uh, giving me a chance to come talk about this. You know, uh, here's what surprised me. I thought I would have known where your position was on this, and then I did a little bit of research, and you've surprised me about Amendment 2. Well, I'll tell you, um, it might have even surprised me a little bit about Amendment 2. You know, I originally supported (laughs) Amendment 2 when we sent it out of the Senate. Um, I'm I'm a tax-cut guy. I'm I'm, a big believer in reducing the size of government and so on, but... uh, it doesn't mean I'm an anarchist, right? So we have to have a certain level of government, and I'm a very much a strong believer in local government and empowering local government, especially you know on, on a lot of decisions like law enforcement and fire departments and things like that. And so, you know, as I've looked at, and I've spent the last year looking at, um, you know, th- this approach that's being taken by the Senate leadership, and there's really just two people that are hardcore behind the Senate's approach. Um, I think that it is um, very much going to damage that idea of local government and local control, and um, there's there's absolutely nothing in Amendment 2, and um, you know, we sent it out that way, but there's nothing in Amendment 2 that is going to protect local government, local funding for schools, uh, for counties, and for cities. And this particular thing, you're talking about 40% in many cases of a local county's budget um, coming from these taxes. And so uh, because of the approach that that we've taken on this, I'm very much concerned that it is going to literally bankrupt um, counties. It's going to prevent, you know, cities and counties from having proper law enforcement and proper fire protection. Um, And and all of it will always come down to a whim of the legislature. And so whatever the legislature might do today um, sounds, you know, good. They're out there making big promises. But the reality is, Today's legislature can't bind tomorrow's legislator to anything. Only the Constitution can do that. And so I, I see real threat to local government with what has been very much a, a non-negotiable position. They're not talking to anybody. They're not considering the potential damage that could be done. Um, they're not interested in hearing about um, the actual data of how effective this particular approach to tax reform will be. And, and the reality is none of the data supports this thing. They go out there and they say, this is going to grow West Virginia. Uh, none of the data supports that position. So I, 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 just if I could real quick, I, you, you buy a lottery ticket, you spend a dollar, you think you might win $550 million, and, and that's a risk you know, reward analysis that we make. Uh, who would buy a $550 million lottery ticket in the hopes of winning a dollar? That seems to be what this is, this is headed toward. The, the the point that I've been trying to hit home with on Amendment 2 is that the only thing it does is give the legislature the ability, if they choose to, to reduce some of those taxes that are listed there. Uh, there is no mandate. I mean, they don't have to. You don't have to uh, make the counties whole. I, there's been talk about that, but there's no requirement of that. The, the amendment doesn't do that. The amendment just says you can reduce those taxes. So. This is really a, I mean, it, it really is many in the legislature saying, trust me, right? It, 
It is absolutely. And, and let's be clear, this is primarily the Senate's position. Um, you know, I've been fighting to at least have some reason brought into this for a year. I've been fighting to have the data looked at for a year. Um, the House, um, fortunately for us, has, has you know stuck to the position of income tax reform. Um, and, and just, you know, if, if I could touch on some data real quick here whenever I say, Please do. Uh, you, you know, we're told that we need to be more like Ohio. We need to be more like Pennsylvania. These are two states that's gotten rid of the tax. Uh, there are ten states that don't have the tax, and 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 we're told this is going to cause massive growth, massive you know economic growth as well as population growth. Those ten states since 2000 have lost 18 congressional seats. Okay, and not a single one of those states has gained a congressional seat in the last 50 years. So. If we're saying that this is going to cause growth in West Virginia, which is what I keep hearing about, um, why are none of the other states, the other 10 states that have done this, none of them are growing? Not a single congressional seat added, 18 congressional seats lost in just the last little over 20 years. Um, we have no reason to look at this and think this is going to deliver on the promises that they're making. And, and uh, I'm not down there to, to make a bunch of empty promises to curry the favor of a couple of you know dark money packs. Um, I'm down there to do things for West Virginia. You and I may disagree on a lot of things, but I assume you want the best for the state. I want the best for the state. And the Senate plan is a disaster for the state. And I want to stress again, there's no guarantee the Senate plan, as has been explained, will be implemented because it's just sort of words on paper right now. There is no force of law, force of anything to it. It's just here's what we might do. Uh, and even if they do it, uh, Senator, even if they do it, as you've pointed out, we can do this stuff. We can make these people whole, maybe, and, and air quotes, make them whole uh, this year, next year, because we do have um, a, a significant surplus. But the day will come. You've been around long enough. I certainly have watched enough legislative sessions to know that the day will come when we won't have that extra surplus. Then what happens? The guarantee money to the counties today won't be there in five years, maybe. Who knows? I can, I can tell you that's almost certainly going to be the case. You know, yeah, I've been around long enough to remember that there was a day when the state of West Virginia couldn't make payroll. And we had to borrow money, you know, th and this is not a long, long time ago. This is 30, you know, 30 to 35 years ago. The state of West Virginia couldn't make payroll and had to borrow money to make payroll. And when that day comes again, and I'm, you know, I'm a strong conservative, a strong Republican, but I don't believe Republicans are immune to downtimes either. When that day comes, there's going to be cuts. And here's one of the problems that I really see, and this could happen next year. It could happen five years from, you know, when those times come. You, you know, I represent a lot of very rural counties, and my rural counties, oftentimes you have one delegate representing two counties or, you know, two delegates representing three counties. Do I believe that my rural counties like Webster County and Pendleton County are going to be protected when they only have one delegate or even a half a delegate compared to Kanawha County that's got about 14 or 15 delegates? Which counties are going to actually be cut? It's going to be rural counties across the state of West Virginia that get cut in those hard times. And the big cities, you know, they're, they're going to be fine. So over in Berkeley County, Berkeley County is going to be fine. Kanawha County is going to be fine. Putnam County is going to be fine. But these smaller counties across the state are going to be devastated when those cuts come. And they won't have the gravity. You, you can actually, you know, people keep saying 100 delegates won't allow this to happen. It doesn't take 100 delegates. It takes 51 delegates. And you can hit the number of 51 delegates in about 10 or 12 counties. You only need 18 senators to make it happen, and you can hit 18 senators in about 15 counties. So 
the idea that you know we're not going to allow that to happen well those 15 counties that are represented by those 18 senators they're going to have the power to outvote the other 40 counties so that is what's going to happen it's going to be the small counties that get cut um, and that's that's just you know all of this wraps around the idea that there's good faith in the whole system but when you also deal in the legislature you're used to the idea that things get traded quite often you know, people lose legislation because they don't support something that leadership wants. People have a bill run that maybe isn't even the best idea because they do support what leadership wants. I'm also afraid that we're looking at a situation where you're going to have a half a billion dollar slush fund that leadership is going to be able to say to senators uh, or to delegates, if you don't get on board with this initiative that we're doing, some of your counties may suffer for that. Other people will be told, since you're such a strong supporter, your counties are going to get an extra helping. There's nothing in Amendment 2 that will prevent that kind of graft and corruption from happening in Charleston, whether it happens this year or 10 years down the road or 50 years down the road, because there's also no time stamp on any of this. There's no expiration date. This goes forever. Senator, um, and you're part of this, so uh, it's going to be maybe offensive to you too, but one of my arguments has been, that this is basically the legislature or legislative leadership or those behind it basically saying, trust us, trust us, we'll do it right, we'll do it right. I have to say, Senator, I don't trust you. I mean you, the generic you, all of you. I don't trust you to do everything right. I think there's there's too much much chance for politics getting involved. I don't blame you, and and no, I'm not offended by that because that's the reality of of you know a representative democracy, a representative republic like what we have, which is the citizenry have to constantly keep a watch. You know, it's it's Ronald Reagan time. It's go back to trust but verify, right? And this takes away all of the ability to hold accountability. Um, whenever you can have just a handful of counties outvoting the other 40 or so counties in any given situation. So there, no, I, I don't trust anybody in Charleston in terms of, um, you know, who's going to be there five years from now. You know, I was originally elected in 2014, and there's only about, you know, 10 people out of the 34 people that were in the Senate then that are still in the Senate, which means the vast majority of the Senate has already turned over just since I was originally elected in 2014. So, we're not even we don't even know who it is we're supposed to trust who's going to be there in 10 years who's going to be there in 20 years they're going to have all of this power at that time so i wouldn't say trust us today i certainly wouldn't say trust us in 10 years and part of the reason and i'll quote you know throw out paraphrase anyway something that thomas jefferson once wrote he said look you don't trust in men you bind them down with the chains of the constitution Well, right now, that county funding, that city funding, the local school board funding is absolutely required. We can't stop it at all from the legislative perspective because it's in the Constitution. You don't have to worry about trusting us because we can't touch it. But as soon as Amendment 2 passes, now you have to worry about trusting us. And I think that the the absolutely intractable positions that have been taken by Senate leadership over the last year – are a very strong indication that, no, you should not trust that the right thing will be done here because there's no consideration, there's no, you know, looking hard at this. The numbers that I just threw out to you, no success. Every single one of these states, not a single one of them has gained a congressional seat in the last 50 years. So that's what they want to emulate. They want to emulate a group of 10 states that has not had any serious growth in 10 years, not a single one of them. They know that data, and yet they're still pushing the plan. 
Senator, you said that you voted for Amendment 2 as it first came down. You thought that you're a tax cut guy, right? I mean, I understood that correctly. So, but but the the way this is playing out has now bothered you. Is there a better way to do it? Is there a better way uh, to achieve the kind of cuts that you think we ought to have? Yeah, I, I think there is. I think that um, what I've seen over the last year has caused me to believe even more that, that whatever that alternative plan is probably needs to be written into the Constitution. But even with Amendment 2, if the approach that had been taken was an approach of – here are the revenue sources that we're going to give to counties to replace the revenue that they're losing. In other words, the money would never come to Charleston. We might have allowed counties, for example, to collect um, uh, an increased sales tax on uh, prepared foods, for example. Virginia, if you ever go to McDonald's in Virginia, you may pay you know, 11 12 percent sales tax at McDonald's, right? We may have given counties the ability to collect that or a one-cent sales tax or some alternative funding source, but a funding source that would be in the hands of the counties, uh, the cities, and so on. And so if we had taken that approach, I probably wouldn't be as worried about Amendment 2 as I am, but instead we have taken this approach of consolidate all power and all money in Charleston and leave the counties begging. You know, another thing I'll, I'll point out real quick about what that means, and then we can come back to the question of replacement, is yeah, right now, if a senior center needs some extra help in one of my counties, they usually go to the county commission. The county commission will give them a little bit. They come to me. I'll give them, you know, some little bit. Senator Hamilton will give them some little bit. Maybe the de- the delegate that represents that area will give them a little bit. And we all work together to make that happen for what I think we all consider to be a reasonably good cause. But if this passes. No longer is the county commission going to have an incentive to work in cooperation with the senior center. The county commission is going to be in Charleston with their handout right beside of the senior center. So instead of a, com- a, a cooperative environment that we currently have, we'll have a competitive environment. But, you know, I, I do think that we would have been better off in Amendment 2 to have written something in. And I think if Amendment 2 goes down, um, that's the approach that we should take as our next attempt is to say, okay, the people don't trust Charleston, and they're smart for not trusting Charleston. Let's write Amendment 2 in a way that provides some type of a definite revenue source that replaces what we're taking away. Amendment 2 right now, there's just the phrase I've been using, so much uncertainty. We, you just don't know. It, it, just, it says the legislature might, I'm sure that they will, but might reduce these taxes. Uh, that's it. It doesn't say about replacing their lost revenue. It doesn't say uh, anything of that nature. And and I'm, I'm sure that there will be an effort made, but as we've talked here several times already this morning, we don't know how long that effort will continue, and politics could – maybe not the first year. You know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that things are done fairly right were it passed this year, next year. But the time will come when politics becomes much more a part of – of, of how the counties or school boards or whoever get get their share of the money. So I, it, there's too, there is just too much uncertainty uh, in this for for me to support it to, or to encourage anyone to support it. What do you think of the governor's idea of having? Because the part of this is that big shiny, uh, we're going to save you money on your car tax. That's what gets the individual citizen all excited. Uh, what do you think of the governor's idea of forgetting Amendment Two or not passing Amendment Two? But simply uh, finding a way to return car tax money to the to the people does that does that make any sense? Well, I, 
I think that it's definitely a doable thing. I think it's the governor. And by the way, you know, um, while there are plenty of things I disagree with the governor on, this is something that we obviously agree on quite strongly uh, together. Um, I think that it's a very doable thing. I think that it's not the absolute best approach, but it's far better than Amendment 2. Um, I think that it leaves control with the counties. It leaves the money with the counties. And if the state somewhere down the road decides that we can't afford that rebate anymore, it'll be the state and the state politicians like myself in the Senate, in the House, in the governor's mansion that is taking that benefit away and therefore would be expected to pay the political price. You know, one of the problems with um, the way the Senate has been pushing their plan is if the Senate later down the road and the House later down the road decides to cut 20 percent of the budget for Ohio County and Ohio County, therefore, has to start laying off um, you know, deputies from the sheriff's department and courthouse workers and volunteer fire departments don't get the same amount of money as they previously got. Who's going to catch the blame for that? Everybody in Ohio County is going to think, well, that's the fault of the county commissioners, right? But it won't be the fault of the county commissioners. It'll be the fault of the legislature that took away that 20 percent. And so – you know, right now, you may have even seen this. A lot of times people blame the county commissioners for the condition of a road in their neighborhood without realizing right. that county commissioners don't pave roads, right? Yeah, no, um, nothing to do with that. Exactly. So I think that, um, you know, it, it's doable, um, but I really think, you know, the final best solution is, is a constitutional amendment, but one that has protection for local governments um, in terms of their, their funding sources. You know, a lot of people have the attitude that um, – you know, county governments have too much money, um, that they waste money. And I'm not saying that there are no counties that waste money because almost certainly there, there are plenty of counties that are wasting a little money here and there. But if you want to talk about government waste, you know, it tends to get worse as you go up the stream. You know, there's a lot more waste in Charleston than there is in Hancock County. There's a lot more waste in Washington than there is in West Virginia, right? It's The more money you have, the easier it is to let that money flow through your fingers. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm a strong advocate for local government is because I believe that local government, where you can um, have a real shot at affecting change because you run into your county commissioner or your mayor at your local Walmart, right? <laughs> you, you know, when's the last time you saw one of your congressmen shopping at the local Walmart or one of your U.S. senators shopping at your local Walmart? You don't have that interaction opportunity to really make them understand how you truly right. feel. Exactly. Um, and so local government is, is almost always going to be better and more responsive and, and more responsible. Senator, you are a Republican. You are a very conservative Republican. You have from time to time been at odds even with some members of your own party, and I, I'm curious how your own party uh, leadership is responding to your position on Amendment 2 right now. What kind of feedback, blowback, response are you getting? Well, I think that if, you know, if we want to talk about um, the potential for having you know counties or cities or local school boards losing funding, you really only have to look at the current leadership. Um, you know, the response from my fellow senators is some actually support my position. I'm probably the most um, you know articulate on it and the most out there and and you know, talking about it. Um, but one of the reasons why this bill hasn't run through the Senate is they haven't exactly had the votes. They've been close. It could have gone either way at times. Um, so there's there's definitely support for my position in the Senate, but from a leadership perspective, you know, a, a month ago, because of my opposition to the Senate plan, and uh, and even really before I decided I was going to be, um, you know, opposed to Amendment Two, um, I 
I originally volunteered for the office that I had. It's one of the smallest offices in the Senate. It doesn't really matter to me. I, I'm out working. I'm rarely in my office anyway. Um, so picking a small office was good. It was in the education suite, which I'm a lot involved in that. Um, our current leadership's idea of how you treat somebody who doesn't support their position is I was recently moved into a storage closet. And you know, whenever I say a storage closet, I don't, I'm not exaggerating like – it's not really a storage closet. I'm saying it. No, if you go to the house side of the building, they have exactly the same room on the house side. It is a storage closet on the house side. Um, but it's not just me. So this is a storage closet that because um, Senator Rucker, for example, didn't support the pro-abortion version of the bill that the Senate president was pushing during our session, the first version that passed out of the Senate, and because she didn't support his forced merger of Pierpont and, and Fairmont, the two of us were put into the same storage closet with barely enough room for two desks in, in this little storage closet. Um, there was enough of an uproar raised that she was actually moved into a, a different office. But this type of you know, retaliatory, you know, vengeful thinking very much characterizes our current Senate president. And so we can talk about what might happen 10 years down the road, but um, I'm not satisfied with the idea that it won't happen 10 months down the road. Um, because we have somebody right now who is more than willing to abuse the trust that he's been given. Senator, uh, this conversation has been fascinating to me. Uh, I must say, over the years, and you and I have not talked before, but over the years there's been a lot you've done and said that I have completely disagreed with. And um, and this is an example, I guess, of how sometimes maybe we ought to talk, you and I or people who disagree ought to talk a little bit more, because I have to say on this issue – I think not only do I agree with you, but I think your reasoning is sound. You, your, 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 your arguments are, are, are straight on, and uh, I, I think you've made a great point. And I, now I'm feeling kind of bad about how bad I've thought about you over the years. Uh, well, you know, politics is kind of a weird thing. Um, there's a lot of things that get said about me or a lot of half things, you know, what I said without necessarily understanding the entire context of the situation. Um, you know, in, 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 in my campaigns, you know, in a little tiny state of West Virginia, I've had almost a million and a half dollars, which is almost unheard of, um, you know, spent against me, promoting essentially a view of me that may or may not be true. But, you know, I, I'm not afraid to say, yes, I'm a very strong conservative, um, and I believe that things should be approached as much as possible from sort of a foundational, principled view of, of things. Um, and you know what? Sometimes we're just going to disagree. But um, I, I also think, and there's a—you you may have heard the, the aphorism: "Politics makes for strange bedfellows." That's especially yeah. true when people are approaching it from a principled perspective, because obviously we're going to align. A lot of people think I don't work with Democrats, and they don't realize that I'm happy to work with them whenever I believe they're right. And you know, even in the last session, I, you know, I mentioned the Fairmont Pierpont forced merger idea. You know, I was working very actively with um, Senator Bob Beach, who is about as far politically as you can get from me. Um, Senator Bob Plymel, who is more of a, a moderate Democrat. Uh, you know, I was working with those guys because whatever all of their reasons for coming to that position were, I had my own, and together we were able to stop the forced merger uh, of those two institutions. Um, you have to be willing and you have to be able to work with people. You know, I've had some very strong disagreements with the governor, and yet right now we're working pretty close together at times on this exact issue because 
that's the that's the process when you get down there, right? Like you can't write people off. You can't permanently burn bridges because today you may be on opposite sides of an issue, and tomorrow you may be exactly in lockstep on an issue. And if you've burned bridges, you make it impossible to work together and actually get things done. So that's never been my view of burning bridges. I, I'll try to work with anybody who's trying to do the right thing um, for West Virginia. Um, for my district because that's why I was elected and and my whole reason for even getting involved in this is you know I've got eight kids myself um, and I wanted to make sure that unlike me they didn't have to go out there somewhere to earn a living you know I was able fortunately to come back to West Virginia but you know um, I want to make sure that my kids have that opportunity here in this state going forward my grandkids etc and that that's what's got me involved in it and you can't be serious about that purpose if you're going to start burning bridges with people just because you have a disagreement. Now, Senator, we'll have to keep in touch from time to time. Uh, This has been good conversation. Listen to more interviews and rants from the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe on Apple Podcasts.